Welcome to our listeners to what is essentially the second pilot episode of Voltec Tech Talks, a semi-regular podcast in which we, John Hewson and Shabazz Hashmi, discuss and deliberate upon emerging trends in technology and science. The topic focus of this episode is upon 3D printing and the recent advancements made within the field. Hi Shabazz, how are you? Yeah, it's going great. So, in discussion of the next potential industrial revolution, that being 3D printing, 3D printing is attempting to eliminate the divide that exists between human vision and the practical execution of that vision. 3D printing may disrupt supply chains significantly within the next couple of decades. One example of this is the Icon Vulcan 2, Icon being the company and Vulcan being the model of 3D printer. This, is, this printer is tablet operated. It exudes a cement from its nozzle and is capable of printing structures over 2.5 metres tall. It has already been used to develop a housing community in Tabasco, Mexico, the homes having gone to local families living in extreme poverty. In the words of their CEO, we feel it is our responsibility to challenge traditional methods and work towards ending homelessness Linear methods will never reach the billion-plus people that need safe homes. Thinking about the level of wastage that exists in conventional types of manufacturing, things like the inclusion of casting, tooling, welding, and equipping factory floor robots or machinery with different tools, this form of manufacturing, otherwise called additive manufacturing, voids most, if not all, of those downsides. Yeah, it's really fascinating. On top of that, I always thought of additive manufacturing as purely plastic, but seeing it work in another context like metal is like surreal, you know? I wonder what that would even look like. Yeah, it looks quite different. I'm not knowledgeable enough about the different types of metal 3D printing that exist yet. Obviously, there are a few different varieties. To my knowledge, there are a couple of companies at present already printing um, rocket components using metal 3D printers that are obviously in order to print a component of a rocket you'd probably need a very large printer and yes indeed they are they've seen some of them that seem to be a couple of stories high yeah I would have thought that they would make a lot of sense in like the context of space missions or rockets because I can imagine that 3D printing would be quite costly you know in the sense that it's a very very new technology um, you know I, I know that a regular 3D printer I was looking into getting one and it was quite a few thousand dollars at least up to a year or two ago so it really does intrigue me that it would be a more affordable way to you know build houses but it's super cool. Yeah. Um, interestingly, it looks like, so just after a prompt Google search, um, the infancy of additive manufacturing is considered to be between 1981 and 1999. So within that period of time, people had actually made advancements and movements forward in plastic additive manufacturing. So they actually had 3D printers in the 80s, apparently. That is mental. No, neither have I. I. I always thought it was new and emerging, and I thought that would be another potential roadblock to getting um, 3D printed houses because, I mean, would you personally consider buying a 3D printed home? Because I know, like, architecture 
you really want a stable foundation, quite literally, right? Yeah. So the whole concept of having a 3D printed house, I mean, that's going to be a, a big step for the public to take. I think I actually really love the idea. Um, I look at it through the lens of increasing societal efficiency beyond the current standard, I guess. Yeah. The less human input that you require to achieve a certain task, ultimately, whilst you're going to increase unemployment in the present, it is a good thing for society to increase that efficiency with which it can produce, in this case, a home. I am therefore interested. I would buy a house that was 3D printed. You would? I liked the schematics. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't want the entire thing 3D printed. The 3D printer, in this case, the Icon Vulcan 2, it's, um, it's like... You've seen those devices that ice cakes, right? It's basically just that, but really large. And these housing projects are not particularly large homes either. They're basically like two room flats. Ah, okay. I get it. I get it. Housing complex. But they're decent. They're obviously nice buildings. um, And they're going to really low socioeconomic background regions. And I think that's where in the strength of this lies. um, Because, you know, at present, if you've got homeless people, then what houses are only a thing for the middle class or this technology has the the capacity to actually bring homes to people who have never been able to afford one before due to just being able to cut out i guess the middleman of having construction workers and also the supply chain side of having to ship in materials and tools from vastly different other regions yeah to finish the actual human labor construction component of the home you know what i mean i'd be very intrigued to see how this would affect um you know um workers that construct homes because i can imagine it would take quite a hit to that that segment of the economy because you're cutting out so many jobs in the process i mean i can imagine well hopefully uh, labor would reskill to become proficient in 3d printing and designing do you think we're shifting towards a more creative society with that do you think jobs are going to change from being a worker to a designer that's an interesting question um well from what i've seen economically it's quite difficult to actually retrain and reskill people after they've had a significant stint in the labor force already apparently it's a it's a majority of people who do find great difficulty in retraining and reskilling um, after, say, their their work sector is made redundant. Um, but also that being said, there's a there'd be a vast number of people within that entire within the entire existing construction industry as it stands, compared to the number of people who can interface with these three D printers. And are familiar with the technology, um, so, so like, three D printing is really just bridging the gap that exists between the human thought behind this object that they want to produce, and all of the process processes that have to physically go into that. So, collecting all the materials and tools, and then compiling them in this specific way. That's all done True. by this machine now. So basically, yeah. the the only human limiting factor is putting in the software that describes what you want the machine to do for you. Um, 
and you're cutting out you can imagine you're cutting out a ton of people from that if if they were to be making these walls by a standard bricklaying method potentially it would take weeks and you'd have four guys doing it at once whereas now you can have one robot do it in four days or do it in a couple of days um guided by only one person definitely and i can imagine like kids growing up in these days like back when you and i were kids i'm sure we probably played with lego and that's as far as our creativity went really well at least my own i wasn't really that into it um but it's so fascinating because we're living in an age where regardless of who you are um and where you are as long as you have a bit of disposable income for a computer and you have a communal 3d printer you can take your ideas and turn them into physical reality within like moments really i mean sure it takes a while but one day is nothing compared to what you'd need to do to get your design over to china and prototype it there you can do rapid prototyping wherever you are isn't that insane it is insane yeah i think that was the initial vision that really existed for 3d printing like because it's obvious that they wanted it well, 3D printing's main strength was, yeah, rapid prototyping, as you said. That's still generally the consensus as of five years ago, but they're realizing now the potential for eradicating all of these supply chain features. And, yeah, it'll be very disruptive, potentially. Yeah, I mean, disruptive in so many different ways. I mean, I wonder where this leaves copyright, for instance. So let's say that you're a company and you've spent maybe, I don't know, $20 million in research and uh, development to build the perfect, let's say, pen model, right? And all of a sudden, it's out in the wild. Someone, I don't know, rips it off and puts it onto a website. Um, you could really be in for a loss. So I wonder how, I wonder how copyright is enforced, you know? It's really hard to envisage how it will look. Um... It's kind of like the internet, you know, how you can't really police the internet. You can try as hard as you can, but once something's up there, there's no stopping it. And then it's already decentralized and it's everywhere. Like an interesting case with regards to 3D printing um, in the last, sometime in the last decade, right? So there's this um, guy who works for this company called Defense Distributed in the States. And he made a schematic for a plastic 3D printable single shot handgun called the Liberator. And he uploaded them to the internet. Wow. Um, I think it says 2018 he did that. Um, but um, after a few days, he basically, I think he got threatened by, I don't know, some, some agency in the U.S., and you had to take it down, but obviously by the time it's up there, it's too late. People have made offline copies of it everywhere, and now everyone has a schematic to this Liberator handgun that you can just 3D print at home if you have like a certain model of 3D printer, which is insane, right? But there's obviously nothing that can be done against it. That is absolutely insane. At that point, how do you regulate arms, you know? Because technically everything needs to have a serial number, right? But if you're creating your own arms at home, I mean, it never needs to be registered. It's it's a it's a dangerous future, right? Makes you think. Um, you, yeah. 
I guess with this technology, like almost every technology, I guess you've got those pros, which um, like inspiring future innovators, building houses for people that otherwise wouldn't be able to. But then you've also got this darker side to it, which is even more real because everyone can make whatever they wish. I guess maybe having communal communal 3D printers could be a solution, but I mean, I don't know. It's pretty hard to enforce. Yeah, it's an interesting question. It would be pretty hard to enforce. Um, the thing is you can already individually buy 3D printers and it, like obviously there's an enormous potential for misuse, but also there exists such potential for cars. Um, you know, uh, lots of things can be turned into a weapon, I guess, but the crux of it is that there is a dark side to progress because progress leads to heightened freedoms for people and capacity to fulfill whatever task they wish to complete. And in this case, 3D printers will enable people to print guns at home and also, I don't know, maybe conceivably in the future people will be able to, actually capable of making their own nuclear weapons in home. Wow, that is mental. Crazy. Not via 3D printing. Sorry, that was just a doomsday argument for the price of Of progress. They're not related. (laughs) Um, Yeah, definitely. That makes a bit more sense. And then, like, there's even a gray side to this, if you think about it, right? Because um, if you think about it, um, if we're creating essential items in day-to-day life using 3D printers... Um, Do you think we have some sort of quality assurance there? Because I can see so many novice novice, uh, 3D modelers that just, you know, start computer-aided design or modeling, and out of nowhere they start manufacturing things um, in their houses or something. Um, There is no standard, because at least when you're working in a factory, you're held to some legal standards of your um, product needing to comply with general health and safety, you know? I wonder what happens at home. Do you mean with regards to, I I guess, broadly speaking, printed objects? Um, Like whether it be a tool or something else? Yeah, I mean, sharp edges, for instance. I can totally see kids getting on there, maybe, you know, creating something really, really cool, but out of nowhere, it's actually a massive health hazard. And, like, everything is so strictly monitored um, when it comes to production, right? So if you're producing something, you have to layer hazard guidelines and safety guidelines all over the packaging. Um, But what what if you don't need to do that? I mean, I can see it being quite, like, um, quite a challenge getting ahead of those kind of things. It really, really makes you think that maybe it's time for a a, a bit of a change in policy or finding a different way to combat these problems but like you said it's like software how do you fix it i mean anyone can make whatever they want honestly feel like the world is going to take a sort of stance on 3d printers similar to the u.s stance generally speaking on guns um you'd be kind of impeding on people's freedoms to prevent them from owning the machines and i don't really see how you could have strict regulations on what they could perform or even you know they they all operate on a simple premise that they pump out whatever material additively um at the at the discretion of the owner and 
I think that's all they really do need to guarantee. Like, you know, they do have a, a 3D printer on the International Space Station and they use that to generate parts and tools that they need on board. Um, obviously, it's a lot more efficient than having it custom made on Earth and sent up. Um, yeah, it will be very interesting to see where the whole space goes, though, in the next few years, I suppose, because this is an emerging issue. Um, but I do see a future in which most or a significant number of households do have a 3D printer. Whether they have a metal one or not remains to be seen, but it could be interesting having a world, a future world in which humans have, say, a solid block of iron metal in their garage and they use that to make their own their own screws and nails whenever they want it maybe who knows yeah i mean i see that coming in so useful the amount of times i've been working on something and lost a couple of screws i mean it's far more efficient because most of the time right i lose a couple of screws i go off to my local hardware store i buy a massive set of screws and then i discard literally all of them except one <laughs> because well it just you know they just pick up dust in the in the garage so wouldn't it be great if you could just make your own um, it's so fascinating. And if you start making your own things, I mean, I can see massive, massive supply chain disruptions, you know? Let's say every household has a 3D printer, right? Um, what's going to happen to factories and assembly lines that do create these relatively simple-to-print things, you know? They're going to go extinct, aren't they? Um, I, I do see it as an inevitability at this point really um and yeah the the wastage that you speak to with regards to buying say a 10 packet screws and using one or two of them it speaks to one of the larger efficiency inefficiencies of you know the manufacturing industry as it currently stands um in re readjusting factory floors right say if you make an adjustment to a particular model of car for example um, you'll need to reconfigure tons of the equipment in the factory, buy more tools, and that's a very costly endeavor, whereas none of that is necessary for additive manufacturing, i.e. 3D printing. Yeah, it makes you think, like, you know, um, there might be massive waves of unemployment in factories, you know? Um and it really makes you wonder what the fate of countries like China, for instance, where we do get most of our products produced is going to be, if we can all produce them ourselves. Um, it's very, yeah, it's very similar to, um, so have you um, read up on robotic process automation? Robotic process automation? Um, I've, I've, I've checked out a bit of... Um, Iterative AI 3D printing design. I saw this drone design that was um, iteratively generated by an AI, but it, you know, it was designed so that it had maximum strength, but also obviously minimum weight, and so it has a bit more of the strength of a standard human-designed drone but it has all of these wacky holes and curves in it. And apparently it actually looks like a, like the skeleton of a flying squirrel. Um, so 
something I heard in one of the interviews of these individuals that run these startups and companies is that um, the iterative AI 3D, I mean, yeah, the iterative AI designs for these objects mimic evolution um, in the, you know, obviously they're trialing millions upon millions of different configurations for additive manufacturing procedures and just having um, all of this matter in different configurations and setups. And by the end of it, it looks like a flying squirrel because the flying squirrel has had a lot of practice at becoming minimal weight and maximum efficiency such that it can fly more effectively, which is just really interesting. That definitely is. I mean, it really um, brings up a few thoughts on how we can see um, even testing going on, because as you said, it's just um, it's uh, using AI, right? So the whole idea is you give it a few, um, your AI keeps learning from what's good, or like what's efficient and what's not. And I'm sure, I'm sure that could apply to other, um, other um, technological endeavors. So maybe you could create um, different products with a lot of user feedback. I see the user testing market becoming much bigger due to it. The name of the company eludes me right now, but um, I think it was actually in a TED talk. So you could, if you just look up iterative AI designs, you might find it. But um, Airbus is doing some sort of partnership with one of these firms that are very interested in exploring the ideas of iterative designs like that using AI and they've already got components in flying planes that are 3D printed and stress tested in these iterative fashions um, that look kind of similar to that flying squirrel skeleton sort of thing where they have all these um, bizarre curves but they're obviously optimized to have maximum strength to weight ratio. Um, another interesting feature. Yeah, so that's already present in planes, commercial airliners. That's a crazy thought. I mean, that is mental. I would have never guessed commercial airliners use um, AI-powered iterative design. It makes you makes you wonder. Um, what the future of you know these items that we totally depend on are and do you think you do trust ai more than you would trust um humans in designing something for your safety i think absolutely yeah with ai all you need to do is set it a couple of parameters and then it will change a series of variables and then it i mean the power is that it can simulate millions of outcomes before having to actually experience those outcomes um, it's just yeah but the worrying part f about that for me is that if you code okay let's say that you um, develop your um, let's say safety object and you're, you're kind of assuming external circumstance because it's all a simulation and when you simulate tests you really can't simulate the unexpected in a way if that makes sense um i think that might be one limitation because at least when a human is designing something um you can think of the crazy edge cases 
which maybe your model that's doing the simulation hasn't really accounted for. So for instance, when you have an AI, right, and you're testing your AI against some criteria uh, in a simulation, let's say, uh, the simulation is predetermined. Yeah. So you're kind of like, you've got a bias there in the sense that you know you've simulated it taking only a certain amount of external variables um, into consideration for your model. But let's say like um, with an AI, they're going to keep testing it across those um, simulated models. Uh, the question is, um, with humans, at least you get the ability to think of those edge cases, which you may not think of at the start when you're making your simulation, but maybe later down the track you do. Um, but are we still speaking specifically on the topic of um, <coughs> using iterative design to um, make the safest vehicle possible? Because um, I feel like that could be accounted for. Um, you just need to be able to withstand impacts from a variety of directions, right? And I guess account for fire danger and a couple of other potential hazards that could occur in a say a car for example. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Maybe maybe and I mean those edge cases you can keep on developing as your AI produces designs, I guess. Um, you can have a dynamic environment where you can keep adding extra parameters till the point where you're satisfied. Yeah. That makes sense. Definitely. Yeah, it definitely does. So I think basically we can conclude that the AI space is just massive, you know? I mean, you have AI that go and crawl the web to AI that help build airplanes to AI that just talk to you. It's absolutely mental. Definitely an emerging space. Absolutely. On the um, idea of um, being able to account for you know, all sorts of outside the box experiences. Yeah. Made me think of um, the Tesla road miles collection they've currently got going in that they're collecting real world data. And that, so instead of performing simulations, they can actually have a factual account of things that humans did experience on the road. It's just like compiling statistics rather than potential statistics you know what i mean yeah um, definitely much greater certainty for the variety of conditions that could be accounted for on roads because they've simply got cameras looking in every direction for billions of miles and um i wonder if there's sort of different iteration of that real world data collection that could be applied to say designing the most cost-effective drones or Definitely. Maybe maybe similar concepts exist for other products, is what I'm trying to say. I completely agree. I mean, um, when you test anything, I think a series of simulation and real-world data give a wealth of knowledge because, I guess, humans aren't omniscient, right? There are going to be issues. Sadly. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, I don't know about you, but yeah, unfortunately. Um, yeah, so there has to be something there to you know, actually give models some validation. Cool. Well, I guess that basically that's about it. I mean. Yeah, I think we touched on most of the topics that we could 
consider throughout that. Um, Definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining me again for another uh, Voltec Tech Talk. Thank you, Shabazz. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I look forward to the next one. No stress at all. I mean, you're one of the hosts. Yeah. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> See you next week, Shabazz. <laughs>